Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. All right, Gavin, batting down the hatches. Here we go. The following podcast contains... Like FU and, and, and S and stuff like that, and then MF and stuff like that. Those are not... Those are... Those, those are... Um, they're, not, they're not words. Those are names of spirits. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you sent the 82nd Airborne to the streets of the fucking capital, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host Dave Bledsoe and this is a Friday, June 5th, 2020 Citizen Soldier edition of the show where we talk about the tiny-fingered Caesar crossing the Rubicon wearing rubber ducky waders. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Are You Thinking podcast is brought to you by Boogaloo Bobs. Are you an aspiring dictator troubled with pesky citizens who don't like you wrecking the republic? Are your uniformed lackeys balking at your authoritarian decrees? Worried about being ousted from power in a few months? You need Boogaloo Bobs, who will provide you with the muscle. Well, not really muscle, more like, uh, that might be a bit of a stretch. Flab might be the right word we're looking for. Flabby guys in camo that will turn out with guns. Who needs troops when you can have the goofs? Who come wearing Hawaiian shirt? Boogaloo Bobs will turn out patriots to put down your insurrection of your third fellow citizens in mini pickup trucks waving Confederate flags because nothing says America like failed symbols of a, of a rebellion started by rich white guys who wanted to keep slaves. So forget your snowflake generals and all their fancy armored vehicles. Call Boogaloo Bobs and we'll get her done, Mr. President. Prisoners must be judged solely upon the evidence produced against them in court and by nothing else. And the evidence we have heard speaks plainly enough, gentlemen. A sentry's post is his castle. And to attack it by English law is an illegal act. Soldiers so assaulted may defend themselves to the death. Now the people are crying. Kill them! Kill them! Knock them down! And they're heaving sharp, cutting ice, oyster shells, clubs. What are they to do? Behave like, like stoic philosophers lost in apathy? Disregard these uniforms. Consider the men who wear Consider yourselves in such a situation and judge if a reasonable man would not fear for his life. 28 years ago, I was young, dumb, and full of cum. A real shithead who thought he was one hell of a badass. And to be clear... No, he was not. Toward the end of April 1992, there was a tiny little incident south of my small town in Northern California in a little place called Los Angeles. You've probably never heard of it. It seems some police officers had done a really bad thing, and when they were put on trial for that bad thing, the nice white people of Simi Valley, California decided... Okay, it's probably nothing. 
This did not go over well with the people directly impacted by the bad things the cops had done, and they decided... You've got to say, I'm a human being! God damn it! My life has value! So, I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! And when they'd reached that point, they expressed their intense displeasure by burning down a fair to middling-sized section of Los Angeles. When it was clear that their displeasure was significantly greater than what the LAPD and California National Guard could handle, old Poppy Bush, who was president at the time, decided they needed professional help, and word went out that active-duty military would be sent down there to put things right. Now, in the military, when large groups of unhappy people intent on expressing their displeasure through mass displays of aggressiveness, it is the job of the military police to come out and do something about it. Offer to buy you a beverage, a beer perhaps? No, it was more like showing up and forced to demonstrate our ability to do unpleasant things to folks who didn't settle the fuck down. We trained extensively in how to do this, but we also trained just as much so we didn't need to do it because it was much better to not have the riot in the first place. Logical. So it was decided that some fewer of us in my unit would be selected to go to L.A. and help out. I was one of those people selected based on my youth stupidity and recent time in the Republic of Korea where each spring it was at the time celebrated by a large number of students gathering to shout and throw things at the U.S. military for the just, you know, general purpose of wanting them in their country. It's all in good fun. It was. It was fine. That is when I learned that should we go to Los Angeles, we would not be carrying any weapons. I would not be taking my police dog. And in fact, we weren't going to be allowed to use any kind of force at all if someone tried to hurt us. We were to huddle up, hold on until the LAPD got there. And when I heard that, my enthusiasm for the entire idea waned. Now, Poppy did send the troops, but he did it at the request of the governor of California. And again, they were not on line against the rioters. The cops were. Because it turns out that using military police to enforce civil order was generally considered to be a really, really bad idea. And even old Poppy Bush felt that federal troops against civilians might make those civilians very angry and not be a good look on television. Not gonna do it. Wouldn't be prudent at this juncture. Turns out they didn't even send military cops to send some infantry folks down there and spent the entire time standing on corners in peaceful neighborhoods just being seen. Things settled down, the unrest ended, and no cop in America was ever acquitted for excessive force ever again. <laughs> oh, hell no. Oh, Poppy was right. It would have been a very bad idea to send active duty troops to enforce civilian law. It's such a bad idea. It's only been done a handful of times in the history of the nation. And most of those times did not work out well for anyone involved, particularly the people they were sent against. Folks like Native Americans are striking workers. The one or two notable times it actually was a good thing was post-Civil War to keep the KKK in check and when federal troops were used to enforce desegregation in the Jim Crow South, largely because the state National Guard troops were from the very places and the very states that were refusing to obey the law. Yeah, funny how that happened. Now, you might be asking yourself, well, gee, Dave, if people are rioting and the cops can't control it, why not send the military to handle it? 
And that is a logical question from a civilian, particularly a civilian that's worried that someone might burn down the local Walmart. But I'd like to point out a couple of things. The first being the whole Constitution thing. And the second being the very simple truth that the primary job of the military is to kill people and break things. So they're not the ideal tool for exerting calm authority to quell civil unrest. Though, to be honest, neither are the civilian cops these days. Indeed, one of the reasons we even have our own country instead of being a civilized happy place like, I don't know, Canada or New Zealand is because the British decided the most convenient tool they had in their hand was, you were keeping the rabble in check, was the military. Seems like they do that a lot. Oh, indeed, they do. Just ask the Irish. And in March of 1770, a clear, concise demonstration of why you don't use the military for crowd control was given to the people of Boston. You probably know it as the Boston Massacre. But what you don't know is the whole thing wasn't even the British Army's fault. You know what? Fuck it. Let's just do it. It's time for a way back. Oh man, we haven't done one of these in a long time. I'm really excited. Our way back this week takes us to a bitter, cold, and snowy night, March 5th, 1770, in the city of Boston. And Boston had been shitting itself for a while now. The people were pissed about the Stamp Act, which if you didn't learn about that in middle school, I'm not going to teach you now, and the Townsend Act, which taxed everything imported into the colonies because England had war debts to pay, and this was a good way to make some cash, or so they thought at the time. On the night of the 5th, a single redcoat soldier was on duty, a young man by the name of Private Hugh White at the Customs House where all the money collected by those hated taxes were kept. Sometime after dark, a group of well-liquored patriots, because they were all well-liquored at the time, showed up at the Customs House and began jeering Hugh and basically threatening to kick his ass. As these things tend to do, the threats became to shoving, shoves turned to punches, and Hugh, being outnumbered and alone, stuck his bayonet in one of the rioters. The boys from Boston were all like, always oh, flocking on now. That was a shitty Boston accent, and I apologize, but I can't do a Boston accent. When the fighting started, bells started ringing all over Boston, and the boys, they brought the boys to the yard. But Hugh stayed at his post and held on until he was almost overwhelmed and finally called for help. Hey, Hugh, hint, next time, call sooner. This brought Captain Thomas Preston and seven other soldiers who took up positions around the custom house and held back the crowd with baskets and bayonets. Eight soldiers, trained to kill people and break ship, surrounded by a crowd of 50 or more angry, drunk Bostonians jeering and throwing things and pressing closer to the line. Many in the crowd were shouting fire, either to daring them to do so or trying to confuse the soldiers into shooting their one shot so they could then be swarmed over. As the crowd grew wilder, they came at the soldiers with clubs and someone hit a private in the head, knocking the musket from Private Hugh Montgomery's hands. He recovered his weapon and fired the first shot of the night. The crowd pressed in after that shot with clubs swinging. The stories vary how long after the next, until the next shot was fired, but soon enough, the soldiers fired without orders into the crowd, striking 11 and killing three instantly, including Crispus Attucks, a black and Native American stevedore, now widely considered the first casualty of the American Revolution. That's a bit of historical fudging, since there's no way anyone could know but it suits a nice narrative that white people like to tell ourselves way after the fact. I mean, I could go into the whole story about how John Adams' defense of the soldiers of the trial was basically saying that the crowd was a, quote, motley rabble of saucy boys, Negroes and mulattoes, Irish teagues and outlandish jack tars. 
and basically blame the whole incident on addicts because he was black. But that's a story for another show. After the shots were fired, the crowd pulled back and the rest of the British regiment came out and things settled down when the governor of Boston promised a full and fair inquiry into the shooting. There's, there was a trial and the aforementioned founding father, John Adams, blamed the black guy for everything and six of the eight soldiers were acquitted and the other two found guilty of manslaughter because there was evidence they fired directly into the crowd. They killed, they shot 11 people and killed three of them. They all fired, there were eight of them. They all fired into the crowd. Those two soldiers were able to escape hanging by pleading for the benefit of the clergy where they had a clergyman intercede for clemency and were merely branded on the thumb. It was all very simple and pointless. Americans like to call this the Boston Massacre, but what it really was was an angry, drunken mob that attacked a soldier of their own nation in order to loot the customs house. Sorry, not sorry, over. Because of the quote-unquote massacre and various other incidents, not all of them caused by the colonists, when it came time to write the Constitution, people thought it was a good idea to write some protections against the government using the military to enforce the law, except in some very specific circumstances. Over the years, those circumstances were codified into federal laws carefully prescribing when and how federal troops can be used. The first of these laws was the Insurrection Act of 1807, and you've probably heard that name in the news lately. In short, the law allows, as written in Wikipedia, to quote, the, the president to call into service U.S. armed forces and National Guard when requested by the state's legislature or, legislature or governor if the legislature cannot be convened to address an insurrection against the state, to address an insurrection in any state, which it makes it impracticable to enforce the law, or to address an insurrection, domestic violence, unlawful combination or conspiracy in any state which results in the deprivation of constitutionally secured rights and where the state is unable, fails, or refuses to protect said rights, unquote. What the hell does that even mean? In the short, short version, the president may request at the, may at the request of a state government deploy federal troops to render and restoring law and order, or in the event, should the actual state refuse to enforce the laws of the nation, the president may use federal troops to enforce those laws, meaning a state would be in rebellion. That's how they were used in the South for the Jim Crow, because the state refused to enforce the federal laws and the orders of the court, allowing black kids to go to school with white kids little bit of extra history for you there. Now, balancing the Insurrection Act is the Posse Comitatus Act. It sounds dirty, but it's not. Which was created in 1879 in response to and effectively ending Reconstruction. But it also had the positive effect of limiting the power of federal troops and law enforcement. In the short, short version of this law, the president cannot order the military to enforce civilian laws without express permission from Congress. There are loopholes in the Posse Comitatus Act big enough to drive a tank through, but effectively, it limits the military from exercising any police powers without the express permission of Congress. For example, I, as a military cop, could not respond to a bank robbery directly across the street from the main gate that I was witnesses and was not in my jurisdiction. If I did, I could be charged under this act, and I should be. Also, Posse Comitatus says the Army can't just give the cops a tank to use in quelling a riot. The Air Force could not bomb a city. The Navy can't blockade a port. And the Marines cannot just go in and be Marines on Americans. The last one by far being the far most dangerous of them. Posse Comitatus is what keeps Predator drones from circling over a American city spotting bad guys. Well, at least military Predator drones anyway. None of this applies to federal law enforcement. 
It also doesn't apply to federal property. As a military cop on a military base, federal property with specific jurisdiction, I could arrest a civilian for violating federal laws and prosecute said civilian in federal court. Theoretically, I could use a tank to pull you over. But no matter how nicely I ask, they would never give me one. Probably a good thing, too. I could even pursue you off federal property for committing a federal crime on said property, though once the local cops got involved, I was supposed to stop. But your ass would be right back in my custody when they caught you, and this is why there are active duty U.S. military troops on the streets of Washington, D.C. right now, because Washington, D.C. is a big old loophole in the Posse Comitatus Act and the Insurrection Act, and the bunker bitch is stretching that loophole like the big end of a champagne bottle in an asshole. James? Uh, sorry. What the fuck are I you was... doing? As of Thursday this week, there were 1,600 federal troops on the ground in our nation's capital, including elements of the 82nd Airborne. Well, that seems a little excessive. You think? Also, allegedly, they're not on the streets, but numerous reports from the ground indicate otherwise, including guys standing there beside vehicles marked U.S. Air Force Security Forces, which the last time I checked, were military law enforcement that aren't even technically supposed to be on the streets because they weren't listed. Now, you might ask yourself, why would we need the 82nd Airborne to come in for some protests and sporadic sporadic broken windows? Is it because the president is a... Candy-ass bitch. Yes, yes it is. In addition to the airborne and MP companies, military helicopters were used to disperse crowds and a tactic developed in Iraq where the downdraft of the rotor whips debris into the crowd, forcing the crowd apart. One of the choppers was clearly displaying the Red Cross markings of a medevac chopper. U.S. Armed Forces are professionals. They are taught from basic training onward about the use of force and, yes, even the constitutional limitations of being used against civilians, or at least I was 30-odd years ago. Military police are trained extensively for such times as this because we know we can get called in if the shit hits the fam. So why am I so concerned about this moment in history? Because shit happens and when it does, training by design takes over and they are trained to kill people and break things. Having a big dog trained to protect you is great. Makes you feel safe, right? But when that dog slips the leash because it was startled by something you didn't expect and that's something, it's going to be someone and they're going to get fucked up and chances are it will be someone you didn't intend to get fucked up. And all it takes is one scared kid with live rounds to set off a chain reaction. One private Hugh Montgomery gets a rock to the head in a moment of bleary confusion and he opens fire on a crowd of unarmed civilians. And so does everyone else on the line. It has happened before, like it did May 4th, 1970, when Sergeant Myron Pryor, for reasons still not clear to this day, drew his pistol and opened fire on college students protesting on Kent State University. And when Pryor fired, so did his squad. And by the time the shooting stopped 13 seconds later, 13 young people were shot and four of them were dead. 67 rounds fired from loaded weapons into a crowd that had thrown rocks from a distance and that then was chased and cornered by the Ohio National Guard troops that were sent there to keep them in line. Now, just imagine one shithead with an AR-15 open up with a full magazine on airborne troopers. Hundreds would be dead in seconds. Hundreds more wounded. Think it can happen? It happened in Dallas in 2016 when Micah Johnson opened up with his rifle against the Dallas police during a peaceful protest, killing five officers and wounding nine others. The police cleared the scene of protesters and chased down Johnson before eventually killing him with a robot bomb 
which was kind of cool, but they did not open fire on a plaza full of civilians because that is not how they are trained. Had it been the guard or active duty military, the death toll in Dallas could have been horrifying. And I'm not saying this to attack the military. I'm saying it because that is what we trained them to do. Kill people and break shit. The military doesn't want to be there, even if they are young, dumb, and full of cum like I was. And they don't ever want to be used against their fellow citizens because they too are citizens. This is why we have citizen soldiers in this country so our military will always remember who they are and where they came from. It is why we don't have coups in this country. It is why the military voluntarily submits to civilian control even though they know the civilians are sometimes wrong and being wrong might cost military lives because they know these are their brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, best friends and drinking buddies in front of them. They are citizens first, soldiers second, and we should never ask them to put in conflict those two things because if we do, we lose either way. A lot of well-meaning folks who've never served in the military like to ask why the military doesn't say something about what's been going on, and I will tell you it is because no one of authority wants to blur that line, to ever call into question their loyalty to the Constitution, or to ever call into conflict the citizen and the soldier. That so many have over the past few days is frankly shocking to me because it shows how concerned they are about what is going on right now. During the height of the Vietnam War, the generals didn't give a shit about the long-haired hippies back in the States, but the lieutenants who became generals did, and when they became generals, they remembered the price they paid after that war, and since the military has been pub- and since then, the military has been publicly neutral on politics, and that even active duty generals are willing to speak on the current political moment shows you how bad things are. And the denunciation by General Mattis was frankly, God damn. He said, quote, we must reject and hold accountable those in office who would make mockery of the Constitution, unquote. He invoked the citizen, not the soldier, while speaking to the soldiers. And I have my gruntles with General Mattis, but that was bravely done. And when he went on further to say, quote, when I joined the military some 50 years ago, I swore an oath to support and defend the Constitution. Never did I dream that the troops taking that same oath would be ordered under any circumstance to violate the constitutional rights of their fellow citizens, much less to provide a bizarre photo op for the elected commander-in-chief with military leadership standing alongside, unquote. That is a scathing rebuke of the leadership, which will resonate deep within the ranks of the military, most of whom revere General Mattis. Then, in an act unprecedented, as far as I can tell, in American history, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff issued a letter to all active military reminding them of their oath to the Constitution and the values embedded within it and that every service member is committed to those values. He reminds them of the right of all Americans to peacefully assemble and that those people should be treated with respect and dignity regardless of color or creed. And then he closes with a handwritten note on the letter that reads, quote, We all committed our lives to the idea that is America. We will stay true to the oath and the American people, unquote. Holy shit. Generals don't do that. 
that General Miley did do that. I am shocked to the core of my being that the current chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the Hefe of all the armed forces, would write a letter reminding the troops of their oath and that their oath is to the people of the United States and not the president. I am not shocked that Donald Trump would eventually push the head of the military to need to write such a thing. Today, Friday, the DOD finally sent the last active duty troops home from D.C. because of one simple truth. We can never ask the women and men of the military to choose between being a citizen and being a soldier. If you are a veteran waving your MAGA flag and draping yourself in camo, fuck you and your tubby supply clerk ass. You are betraying your oath and should be stripped of your veteran title and your benefits. Fine, you like to lick the cum from his tiny mushroom dick. That's your right, but never put active people in the place of being asked to choose. The law and the Constitution is clear. Everything we are taught about honor and discipline from the second we step foot into those yellow shoe prints is clear. We serve not the man who is president. We serve the Constitution of the United States in defense of the people of the United States. Even we we do not agree with them because the second we do not serve them, we are no longer soldiers. We are mercenaries being paid to fight and we are definitely no longer citizen soldiers. George Washington, in his farewell orders to the Continental Army, said, quote, in order to effect this desirable purpose and to remove the prejudices which many have taken possession of in the minds of any good people of the states, it is earnestly recommended to all troops that with strong attachment to the Union, they should carry with them into civil society the most conciliating dispositions and that they should prove themselves not less virtuous and useful as citizens than they have been persevering as victorious as soldiers. This is the charge laid upon every one of us who raised their hand and swore to protect and defend this nation. And it was given to us by the general of the armies who still holds the highest possible rank of the United States military that can ever be achieved. No tiny fingered shit stain should ever be allowed to challenge that sacred oath for his own venal desires and shame on him and any who support him in doing so george washington would spit in your fucking faces that is it for our show this week this was not a fun show to write and perform tonight and i want nothing more than to take things back to the silly ass shit i usually do but this world it will simply not let me let me be stupid again, please. And I chose to tackle the military side of things versus the police side of things because I am fucking livid at the cops and no one wants to hear me spew profanity for 30 straight minutes. Or, you know, maybe you do. So uh, you do what you do. Rate and review. Follow on Twitter and Facebook. You know, don't go on Facebook. Facebook was poisoning everything it touches. Kind of like the bunker bitch himself. So I guess I'll just say, without jokes or any further ado, for me, Dave Bledsoe, producer Gavin, and all the fictional people I usually make a joke about, we want to say that we are long away from Kent State, so let's make sure we never go back. And we'll see you all next week.
I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.